Hi, I'm Chris, founder of Chainflow and Snaking Defense. Welcome to the Snaking Defense podcast, where we talk about and to smaller proof of stake validator operators whose survival is critical to keeping stake decentralized in proof of stake networks. Without them, stake will continue to centralize, allowing a small number of very wealthy stakeholders to control these networks, just like today's legacy economy. And if all we do is recreate the current financial system, well, what's the point of that? In this pilot episode, we talk to Ian of secretnodes.org. Ian's an active member of the Enigma project and founder of secretnodes.org, a smaller, independent Enigma validator operator. Ian and I discuss Enigma, the role validators play in the network, whether the validator community is welcoming to new validators, and the challenges he faces as a smaller validator operator. And with that, um, I'll say hi, Ian. Thanks for joining us. Hey there. I'm Ian from Secret Nodes Org. We focus primarily on the Enigma ecosystem, but we are a group of people that is highly inspired by uh, privacy initiatives. And yeah, we're, we're, we, we support node runners in the Enigma ecosystem uh, through educational resources and the broader mission around privacy. So how did you get interested in, in operating, you know, validators in the first place and, you know, Enigma specifically or vice versa? You know, did you get interested first in Enigma and then decide to run, run the validators on Enigma? So I, I've been interested in like the wider bro- blockchain and, and cryptocurrency space uh, since I got involved in 2011. And I, I initially got into cryptocurrency in general through mining. And mining was a really interesting experience in the early days. Now the barrier to entry is exceedingly high. Um, But like my experience with mining is really what shaped what I wanted to do. And I I wanted, like I experimented with some of the earlier things like uh, the Dash master nodes and different things like that. Um, And I guess what honestly attracted me to Enigma in a way that I stuck around with it was the underlying mission around privacy because everybody has a blockchain these days, but very few are thoughtfully solving for the privacy aspect of things. And I don't think blockchains really survive without privacy long-term. So you took some of the early experience operating miners and then migrated that or updated that or adapted that into running validators? Essentially, yes. Uh, I've always been pretty selective about it, them being privacy focused though. So mm-hmm. I have some experience with like um, Horizon. Uh, so some experience with Horizon, uh, Dash. And I, I've certainly like read about how the other systems work, but mostly what I've actually like hands-on experienced is privacy centric tokens and systems. Yeah, so I guess that brings me to secret nodes. Dot org. Um, what exactly is it? You know, when I, because we met and, you know, we've met through your partner a while ago, I've always associated secretnodes.org with the Enigma project. Um, are there any formal links to the project? Is this a community uh, grassroots organization? What, I guess, what is Secret Nodes and, you know, what are you hoping to accomplish with, with it within the Enigma community? So Secret Nodes org is grassroots. Uh, we, we're not actually like, we don't have like, um, an official affiliation with the Enigma company. We're an independent operation. 
Um, and the broader mission has always been to propel like education around node running in this ecosystem and to push uh, like different sorts of privacy initiatives forward and awareness initiatives forward around that. Um, you know, when, when I launched it initially, it was 2018, it was the end of 2018 and the Enigma blockchain wasn't even on mainnet yet. So there was definitely a period of time where, uh, you know, we didn't know what final form this would take. I would even say today to a degree, we don't know what final form this, this, this will take. So I've, I've tried to just focus on broader awareness and educational stuff. Um, I think that's essentially where we're going to stay for quite some time. Uh, there is an underlying business in regards to like, you know, running a node, but like the active work is mostly creating these educational resources. So if you go to secretnodes.org, you'll see that there's a lot of documentation on how to spin up a full node or sp spin up a validator or deploy sentry nodes, et cetera. Yeah. And that's something that I think attracted me to it as well. You know, when I've dipped my head in, in and out, you know, trying to find a little bit of free time to break off and jump on the network that, yeah, the documentation there has always been super useful. So thanks for putting that together. And it seems like, you know, is this an effort to, you know, make operating easier in order to attract more validators to the network? It, it is. It, it definitely started off that way and it still is to, to a degree. I'm thinking through like how to balance that in, in a future where it well, in a present where, uh, there's a validator cap, um, you know, on the cosmos based chains, uh, typically there's, there's a cap on how many validators there can be. So, um, I think the level of, uh, walking through when it comes to like the nodes is going to be different in this scenario versus there being like thousands of nodes, right? We achieve decentralization on this network through having, uh, you know, a set of high quality validators who attract uh, delegations to them, right? So it it's probable that I'll start to focus a bit more on how to like educate the delegator. Yeah, that's an interesting point, actually. And I'll, let me come back to that because I wanted to ask, and I meant to ask earlier, you know, how do you how do you see yourself as a validator operator? You know, um, is it you know do you consider yourself? And, and I guess let me start by saying, you know, what I'm hoping to do with staking defense is showcase smaller validator operators uh, because my sense is that when you look at any conversation related to staking. Even in these early days, you tend to see the same, you know, five five people or five organizations show up, and those organizations typically tend to be the larger staking companies who have raised, you know, six or seven figures, and you know, have marketing teams and are able to attract speaking opportunities, and you know, ha know how to hit the marketing channels where you know a number of you know smaller yet capable operators you know don't have those resources. So one of the things that I'm really hoping this podcast will do is shine some light on you know, smaller yet very capable and dedicated operators like yourself uh, within the community. Uh, so I think I just answered my own question, but, you know, could you describe how you see your, 
your validator operation in that context. And to be clear, when I'm talking about smaller operator, I'm talking about the smaller organization or, or group running the validator, not necessarily you know, the amount of stake that the validator may hold or manage. That's a good question. Um, I, I view secretnodes.org as positioned as the people's validator in, in the Enigma ecosystem. Um, I, I, I watched the mining industry, the mining pool, uh, pools form in the early days, and I saw what they turned into. I've seen, uh, you know, just from that, what it looks like years down the line when an operation comes along and they focus on many, many different tokens and currencies and things to mine, uh, which is similar to staking to uh, enough of an extent. And I view that as kind of a bit of a more transactional experience. Um, Secret Nodes Org is very much connected to the Enigma ecosystem. The underlying token is called Secret. It's not called Enigma, it's called Secret. So we're very much ingrained in this ecosystem. And I view our position as one where people can feel comfortable to know that this is our primary focus. We're not going anywhere. And within that, you know, what does the validator community look like today? Um, and would you say it's, it's a welcoming environment to smaller operators? Is it dominated by larger operators? You know, how, how does it feel today? For example, you know, if, if someone, you know, with, with a capable DevOps background was to approach the, the community today, you know, would they find it a welcoming experience to get started? Would they find it to be complicated to, to get, fight their way in? Or, you know, would it be somewhat of a, a community as I start to see evolve in, in some of the networks that, you know, there's a bit of elitism that's crept in where validators who have been around since Genesis and before, you know, in my experience, are starting to become less friendly and less helpful to newer entrants in the right. community. What, what would you say the Enigma validator community looks like at this point? The Enigma validator community is, is an interesting mix. It definitely has, you know, industry standard players, uh, but it also has a lot of grassroots players that have been in the community for a while. I don't see a lot of elitism. I think the bigger barrier in our ecosystem is purely uh, accessibility to the token. Um, they're, they're, yeah, I, yeah, I would say that's the bigger barrier in our community. It's accessibility to the token. Um, on, a, on a broader level, uh, when it comes to like the val validators or staking as a service companies in general, um, I don't think we're quite there yet overall, like broader level, whole ecosystem uh, to even where like mining pools were in mm, like 2015, 2016. I don't even think we're there yet. There are a handful of companies that always get mentioned and, and whatnot, but they're a very, very small handful of companies and there were a lot more mining pools back in the day. So um, it's interesting. Uh, and some of the elitism, uh, I, you know, my take on it is actually that it's a bit more technical elitism. Uh, there is definitely a lot that goes into running a good node, but I mean, anybody that has decent chops with DevOps, you know, a decent background there, they can pick this stuff up pretty quickly. It's not... It's not like that complicated. They can pick this stuff up pretty quickly. 
the bigger barrier is is accessibility to like you know getting into the ecosystem financially or uh reputation based right right and i'm wondering so you mentioned so you mentioned the barriers to entry being access to the token and then also building reputation and i wanted to talk a little bit more about some of the challenges that smaller validator operators may face. Um, but before I do that more concretely, thinking about how decisions made within the protocol design affect the validator community. So, you know, for example, one thing that comes to mind is, is there a minimum number of secret tokens that you need to hold in order to operate a validator? No, there's not. Uh, well, oh, there's not a, I'll change that answer to, there's not a static minimum. The minimum is just you have to be in the top 50. So that's in that's in line with Cosmos, right? On yeah. Cosmos, I think the set is 125 now. Is that right. right? Yeah. Okay, so you have to be in the top 125 in order to run a node. If you fall out of that by stake, then you're just not a validator anymore. Some of those nodes are run by people that, you know, um, we've been giving small amounts of secret out uh, and some of those nodes are just run by people who have received those small amounts, like one to five or 10 secret tokens. And because it, we don't have the full 50 filled yet, the, those people are able to, you know, uh, get familiar with running a node and perhaps they will proceed to run a node after they, uh, you know, get more tokens. So there's still space if, if anybody listening wanted to, to try and jump in and get a validator running on Enigma. Um, there is another technical challenge. There is another challenge that will be inherent to the secret network mm -hmm. that might be worth discussing. So on Cosmos uh, and, and Cosmos-based tokens, um, typically you can run those in any cloud provider or on any like x86-based hardware. Um, and even actually, I think some ARM hardware, if you build it out for ARM, um, uh, I think it's kind of trivial to, you know, build it for ARM. Uh, but on the Enigma network, uh, in the future, once we add secret contract functionality, there's actually going to be a requirement uh, for SGX. So yeah. there are certain there are certain processors made by Intel essentially anything actually after, I think it's like May 2017, any CPU after that uh, meets the technical requirements to have that functionality. And SGX allows for a protected portion of the processor to process data without uh, the, the um, system operator being able to see that data. Right. Yeah, I've heard I've heard of this requirement coming up on other networks now as well, and oh. uh, yeah, it does require some some additional research for people who are using VPSs um, in order to pick a provider. Assuming there are providers that you know offer SGX and offer SGX enabled in their configurations. So there's yeah, a couple, a but point. it it is kind of limited. So the easier thing, from my understanding seems to be uh, for other networks that want to benefit from something like the added security, the easier thing would be to use like a module powered by uh, a network that is built out already with SGX, right? So like Enigma is working on uh, the secret zone and, 
uh, other Cosmos-based tokens who are networks that um, implement this, uh, that connect to this zone would be able to leverage uh, the privacy features of an ex without upgrading their whole network to use SGX, which, you know, it's not insurmountable, but it changes the monthly costs quite a bit. Um, you definitely can't use like a $5 or $10 a month VPS to run a secret node that has SGX. The requirements like cost-wise I've seen the lowest is like $120 a month. Yeah. Yeah. So that's an order of magnitude especially for smaller operators. And that's, that's actually a really good segue into some of the challenges just small, smaller validator operators face in general. You know, to some of the larger validators who are listening to this, you know, they're probably sitting back thinking, you know, what are they talking about? Five and $10 VPS, you know, who would ever run a validator on that kind of system? But, you know, I think the reality is that there are people who are doing it depending on the network and it's, it's probably working okay for now on some networks, probably wouldn't be doing work at all on other networks. But, you know, I think, you know, as a smaller operator myself, I'm constantly towing the line between, you know, good enough performance and, and really good security and cost. And, you know, my sense is, and, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. You know, I think most smaller operators are in the same boat, you know, and in that case, if we have the, the know-how and the background and the skills to, to find that balance, we can probably see our way through and, you know, survive and hopefully thrive and in this space, but you know, it is, it's a constant battle of maximizing every dollar spent. Uh, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, the challenges of smaller operators, particularly, you know, in the areas of, you know, having to cover costs while uh, running on networks that may or may not be liquid, having to cover costs right now on networks that you believe in, but you know, the token price may be so depressed that you're barely breaking even and you know, you have bills to pay. So, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on on that challenge and, and any others that you've come across as you know, a smaller operator? So I, I want to start by saying I, I feel very fortunate to have gotten a very modest amount of VC funding, not a whole lot, not enough for salaries and things like that, but enough for us to actually uh, uh, be able to cover some of, some of these costs you're talking about. So. Mm -hmm. You use co-location. Um, the bigger challenges uh, I've run into are more community-based because you know, in order, you know, in order, the journey that we've gone through to get positioned where we are and to be doing what we're doing is one of community service. So that is that's never been something we've been compensated for, but has definitely taken up taken up a decent amount of time. So, you know. Um, I know there are operations out there for sure running on pretty inexpensive VPSs. My thoughts on that are probably contrary to what a lot of the other operators would say. I actually, you know, to me, like I was looking at some of the network uh, or the system requirements for some of these networks launching, and I've seen things like terabyte solid state drive and and, you know, XYZ you know, amount of cores in your processor and stuff like that. And it's interesting that the networks are positioning to say, hey, we have a highly performant network. Uh, it's interesting when there's nothing happening on the network. So while some of these people have really slim operations, um, you can use things like remote signers and stuff like that to use the cloud and not trust the cloud with your security. 
and you know just use the benefits of the cloud uh, for the uptime. And um, I mean, if everybody's running their node in AWS, it's pretty dis it's pretty centralized, anyways. Right. It's decentralized in the aspect of you know I am not you. If we are both running our node in AWS, then uh, then uh, I mean we're different people, so. I guess that's decentralized, but if AWS goes out, then bam, we're both out. What are some of the other challenges you think smaller operators would face coming in? So there's access to the token, you know, there might be a technical hurdle. You know, is there anything else that you faced, you know, as a smaller operator in, in having your voice heard in terms of either being able to get your voice out there or having experienced, you know, criticism for putting your voice out there with opinions that may or may not be seen as favorable within the community? What other difficulties have you have you run up against running on Enigma over the past year or so? Mostly, mostly uh, when it comes to like bigger operator operators, like there's just mostly just non-acknowledgement, right? Um, we're we have a very very modest amount of VC funding, not not nearly enough to have us be considered anywhere up there as like highly capitalized. It's more of like. Uh, more of enough to just prove, hey, this concept can work. Um, so mostly non-acknowledgement from like the bigger operators. When it comes to like within our own community, I actually don't have a whole lot of problems being heard because I've been, like I was an ICO participant uh, when this network was being pitched initially. Uh, and I've been an active community member building up the community uh, you know, since 2017. So uh, typically, it's not very difficult to get a message out. Um, mm -hmm. I think there would be difficulty moving to other ecosystems, but uh, there aren't that many privacy ecosystems anyway. So not very interested in very many other ecosystems. Um, uh, the community stuff is just handling it actually like the amount of time that it takes is the biggest difficult uh the biggest difficulty for me two things come to mind flipping the question around a little bit if someone were to enter let's say someone want you know someone sees that there are 20 some spots left on enigma and you know they want to come in and run a node what would be a good way for them to begin to develop a, a reputation within the space um there's the fine line between coming in and being new and asking questions left and right and trying to contribute is that seen as favorable or is that seen by some of the longer term validators as, hey, go do your homework and come back when you have something real to contribute? I think that it's considered extremely favorable in our ecosystem. Everybody that is willing to build something in this ecosystem and is willing to try and build something that provides value, uh, I think there's a very clear path for them to be amplified uh, by different, uh, different network participants, including Secret Nodes Org, um, and even the Enigma team. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that's a, it's a very big barrier. It's a, it's a bigger barrier probably just to, you know, get an end delegator to just trust, you know, to just trust, uh, to delegate to your node, I suppose. But if people build value, there's a path for them, uh, getting compensated in secret, uh, through community spend proposals, uh, potentially grants, uh, and definitely to have their message at least propelled through. Awesome. 
Yeah, it sounds hopeful. I mean, it sounds like it's still a pretty supportive community and one one that is accessible to to smaller operators to to come in and participate and contribute and hopefully be appreciated. Yeah, I think I feel that way. Um, I've definitely tried to, um, I, I, you know, I've I've looked at some other networks to participate in, and I've seen higher barriers. Is I guess what I'll what I'll say. What would be an example of a higher barrier you would see in other networks, either naming the network or not naming the network? Like when you look around, what would you see as a higher barrier? I guess the most neutral example to give would be like Dash. Um, Dash is very opaque in my opinion. Um, They do have uh, the ability to fund projects uh, through block rewards, right? If you remember a few years back, um, they had Charlie Shrem pitch the Dash uh, debit card or credit card or whatever. And uh, that was funded through um, like a community spend essentially. Uh, so I think that that's a great example of how like a really high barrier because it's just so opaque. Like even to this day, I couldn't like I could, a few years ago, I could have to- told you better how it worked, but like now I don't know how to like break into that ecosystem. Uh, I would, I don't know how to submit like a proposal reasonably unless you have a thousand dash tokens to be running one of these dash masternodes uh and to get the rest of the network to participate uh my understanding is it's just all the original set of people and and team members like and they are the only ones that get anything through is my understanding the older ones that don't like they're you know more technical focused and they don't ever really focus on uh you know getting it more accessible they kind of just sit there uh in that state and it seems like they just coast in that state uh i can't think of a initiative related to that ecosystem that has you know increased accessibility in years to me not not being too familiar with the community but listening to your explanation it brings to mind you know, what I think of when I think of the current financial system in a lot of ways, you know, people getting in positions of power and coasting, you know, and then hoping to, to hold on to that position so they can continue to coast and reap the rewards. Yeah, I guess to me, you know, in this space, specifically in staking, if all we're looking to build is another parallel financial system that is controlled by a small number of large asset holders over the long term, then what's the point in a lot of ways? Agreed, agreed. A good example of, of a system that I think has accessibility is Cosmos. There's a lot of awesome tools that have already been built that continue to be maintained in that ecosystem uh, and, and a lot of awesome work that is being done there to uh, kind of bridge the gap to these other communities. I think, it, I think with that, like the clear, one of the clear like underlying differentiators is Dash isn't like if you if we were comparing the two. Dash isn't really like uh, an ecosystem that that links other ecosystems together. But with Cosmos and Zones and Hubs, uh, you know, these it's a bigger picture. It's not just about one. Do you think Do you think over time smaller validators can not only survive but you know actually thrive in the Enigma community? And you know, if not, why? And if so. You know, what do you think needs to happen in order for that to, to manifest 
are there certain things in the protocol that need to be kept an eye on? You know, is it through governance? It's kind of an open question and a big question, but I, I guess it comes up in the context of, you know, in some of these networks, a lot of people think, you know, there are only 50 qualified validators in the world and, you know, the rest are somewhat doomed. But, you know, within, you know, if someone were to come in now within the Enigma community, you know, with a smaller operation, you know, do you think, you know, there's some things they can do to stick around for the long haul? I actually think right now is the best time to get involved. And I think that anybody that contributes, uh, like, you know, uh, good content uh, to the community now uh, and the ecosystem now will be very well positioned. And I think this because uh, not only because there's, there's room left for people to run validators, but because uh, even if you don't run a validator right away, uh, if you're if you have a technical ability and you can contribute tooling uh, to to the network, there is a path for you to get uh, compensated through the community pool, and there is a path for uh, you to become a validator. And that path is one that would have like reputation as a reward in addition to like tokens. So I think that like that's the way that you do it essentially um by the time like somebody that entered today had an operation up and running i think a lot of the you know things that they feel they need or i feel that they might need to stick around for the long haul would be checked off what keeps you going when when things may feel a little difficult you know when it may feel like the odds are stacked against you here and there you know what keeps you in it what keeps you excited and what keeps you motivated uh what does keep me motivated this is kind of this is just kind of what i do i i the underlying mission is like a really big thing for me it's a very very big thing for me because i i did get involved with bitcoin early on and i i made some money off from that and you know that was great but uh one of the things that you know i one of the feelings that i had walking uh away from that experience was it sure would be nice if I cared deeper about the underlying thing. And I love Bitcoin. I like decentralization, but um, I, I didn't get involved in Bitcoin because uh, uh, digital gold was like this thing I was really into. Right. Um, I liked the technology. I, I liked, I liked, I really just liked the technology and I, I wanted there to be something deeper. So I, I suppose what I would say keeps me going is the underlying mission if that core was ever gone, uh, I'm not sure what would what would really keep me going in it in the aspect. But they're solving for a really important mission, and I believe in it. Well, thanks, Ian, for for taking the time to be on the show. Thank you also for being my first guest and working with me through through this as I as I figure it out as I go. And if anybody listening you know, wants to get involved and wants to jump in and claim one of those open validator spots, what's the best way for them to do that? The best way to get involved and, and to start down that path is to join chat.secret.foundation. Uh, the Secret Foundation is a rally point uh, and organization that is going to help foster things like onboarding uh, new node runners and uh, join the chat and we'll help you out. All right, well, thank you very much again. And um, best of luck to you, best of luck to Secret Nodes and 
who knows, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll jump in and see what I can do also. But, you know, it sounds like it's a welcoming, hopeful community and hopefully some of the, the smaller operators looking for a new network may jump in. So thanks again. Thanks for having me. This episode of the Staking Defense Podcast is a wrap. Thanks to Ian for participating. Follow him at Fire in the Slums on Twitter and check out his work at secretnodes.org. And thank you for listening. This podcast is sponsored by Chainflow and Staking Defense. You can learn more about Chainflow at chainflow.io slash staking and continue the discussion at forum.stakingdefense.com. Stay tuned for the next episode of this podcast in about a month. Subscribe at stakingdefense.substack.com so you don't miss it and join our Telegram community at t.me slash staking dash defense. Again, it's t.me slash staking dash defense to keep the discussion going. Until then, keep stake decentralized. <laughs>